Hi, I'm David Green, and welcome back to the Digital HR Leaders Podcast. The pandemic has intensified the focus of organisations on employee well-being. Indeed, across the globe, four in five HR leaders report that mental health and well-being is a top priority for their organisation. However, a recent study by the McKinsey Health Institute of more than 15,000 employees around the world found that one in four employees are experiencing symptoms of burnout. But instead of me talking you through the study, why not learn more about it from one of the key people behind the research, Jacqueline Brassi, co-leader of the McKinsey Health Institute, and also the chief scientist and the director of research science for the people and organizational performance practice at the firm. And our research shows that what is needed is a systematic approach, proactive and at three levels in the organization. And uh, and there's a huge opportunity to actually build progress there. And what you see now is that we are going into a new horizon where organizations start to think this through in a more strategic way and build their mental health and well-being strategy uh, in response uh, to uh, the research findings that we and others also have, uh, have presented. My conversation with Jackie will take a close look at the impact toxic company cultures have on employee burnout. We discuss how to build resilience through adaptability and authentic confidence. We'll also talk about creating a culture that attracts, develops and retains talent. And Jackie will also provide guidance on eight steps to foster a mental health and well-being strategy that actually works. So put your headphones on and turn the volume up as this is a conversation you don't want to miss. Jackie, it's great to have you on the show. Um, Before we get into the conversation, could you provide listeners with a brief introduction to to you, how you got to where you are today um, and your roles at McKinsey? Absolutely, David. And I'm so excited to be here. It's uh, it's fantastic uh, to have this conversation uh, with you and I look forward to um, the dialogue that we're going to have. Yeah, what got me where I am today, it's been a long journey, actually, uh, and, and I'm not going to say how many years back, but I started my uh, my career in um, uh, customer development and marketing, actually, but very quickly moved into uh, HR and primarily the quantitative side of HR. I spent a long part of my career with Unilever, uh, also moved to London uh, and started to experiment. Um, after doing employee engagement, I started to experiment with people analytics uh, and organizational diagnostics, and I started an academic career on the side as well. The common theme throughout my career has been evidence-based work and putting numbers to maybe the more softer topics, as we say. And and the key focus has been most of the time on human, sustainable human development and performance, but bringing concepts from leadership, organizational, business science uh, and neuroscience together. And in the work that I now do at the McKinsey Health Institute, but also at our people and organization performance practice, uh, I'm bringing that all uh, together uh, as well in the day-to-day work that I do. What we're going to talk about a lot today, and I know it's something that you've studied extensively in your work and certainly recently at the McKinsey Health Institute, is is employee mental health and well-being. It's a topic that, as, as I said, you've written is at the forefront of, of many organisations' priorities. But when I was reading the, the McKinsey Health Institute article that you published, I think it just over just at the start of the summer, it was really fascinating to learn that while many organisations are are investing and focusing on helping to improve employee well-being and resilience, there's still a very high rate of burnout reported by employees in these organisations. 
for our listeners who have not yet read the article, and we will provide a link in the, in the show notes, what is it that organisations are missing when it comes to employee mental health and wellbeing? Uh, well, it's a, it's a great question, and it's something that we found indeed in our uh, in our research. You know, uh, there is still a big issue. One out of four report burnout symptoms, uh, which is quite high, and we've all I, we also know that the problem is still uh, increasing. And what we found also with great intent, many organizations have done a lot actually to help employees, and, and the investments have increased. And it was more actually um, at the start of the pandemic as a response to the stress and the challenges that everybody was going through. And organizations have listened and did their best actually to respond. Um, but the focus was more uh, reactive and at individual level. And our research shows that what is needed is a systematic approach, proactive and at three levels in the organization. And, uh, and there's a huge opportunity to actually build progress there. And what you see now is that we are going into a new horizon where organizations start to think this through in a more strategic way and build their mental health and well-being strategy uh, in response uh, to uh, the research findings that we and others also have uh, have presented um, the last uh, year. What was some of the sort of highlights that came out in 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 the data and and from the i know what was an extensive research study that you did yeah yeah, it was a large study and for those who don't know what the mckinsey health institute is maybe a few words on that as well yes that'd be helpful yeah we got launched in in may it's a non-fee generating institute that was launched by mckinsey it's um related to mckinsey but not part of mckinsey it's a really uh, different model uh we have uh, uh, the aspiration to add uh, years to life and life to years uh, and we have different pillars through which we work, including uh, brain health, but also healthy living and healthy uh, aging. And within brain health, we have employee mental health and well-being. And there, uh, that's the work that I'm co-leading with uh, with colleagues. We really want to help uh, organizations to become enablers for mental health and well-being uh, rather than blockers. Uh, and so in that context and, in, and with that aspiration, we launched this uh, global survey that was rolled out in 15 countries. Now, a couple of key findings, uh, David, we, we found, as I mentioned before, one out of four is reporting uh, burnout symptoms, and that's quite serious because we thought uh, uh, it actually was uh, quite high. This is not just people being stressed, but this is really uh, burnout symptoms as uh, as measured by uh, a validated uh, skill uh, from uh, Dr. Schaufli that we uh, that we work with. And then we looked at the positive, the drivers for positive health and well-being and the drivers for negative health and well-being. And in a nutshell, what we found was there are multiple contributors to positive outcomes. So we, we were able to predict 55% of the variants of, for example, employee engagement and job satisfaction. And we noticed that, uh, you know, it's not one thing that drives it. It is uh, inclusion. It is uh, sustainable work. It is uh, multiple factors. It's it's actually the systemic approach that we that we talked about. On the other side, also, we looked at what is driving the ne- negative outcomes of uh, employee health and well-being. And what we saw paramount jumping out of this uh, uh, research is that uh, also, again, multiple factors. Number one, toxic workplace behavior. Number two, lack of inclusivity. Number three, sustainable work environment. And uh, and the rest also was adding, but these were really the big drivers. And toxic workplace behavior, we thought, if that's a big driver, does it really matter? Are many people experiencing it? And also there, we, we found that one out of four was basically uh, reporting to experience high levels of toxic workplace behavior. And that was hugely surprising to us. And uh, and the other thing that we found is if you do not solve that, nothing else really matters. It's like, you know, if you have a basket of apples and you take care of the apples, but you have one rotten apple, 
no matter what you do with the rest of the apples, if you don't take out this uh, particular rotten apple, it will still uh, impact the health of the other apples. The moment you take it out, though, every individual action that you take moves the needle on burnout symptoms and, um, and negative outcomes. And that is uh, hopeful. What, what skills do our leaders and employees need to, to combat, combat burnout and, and help improve the overall well-being of the workforce? So there was one important factor and, and that we saw really can, can act as a buffering factor uh, to deal with um, stressful work environments and to, to deal also with toxic work environments. And that was effective adaptability, basically resilience or uh, emotional flexibility or adaptability or what you, uh, what you will call it. But in this case, we, me- we uh, measured effective adaptability. And, um, and what that means is uh, basically that people uh, feel like they have multiple options to get out of a difficult situation. And what we saw was that people that have a high level of these skills are less vulnerable for uh, stressful work environments. So their their employee enga- their engagement and their energy levels were were impacted but did not reduce that much in toxic workplace uh, environments, where people who did not have those skills really suffered much more. Now. That is an indicator that, you know, uh, yes, the organization needs to uh, to change and you need to make uh, this topic part of the, the fabric of your organization. However, you also need to help individuals actually to develop skills to deal with stress. And no matter what you do to make a perfect uh, uh, context and a perfect environment, not everything always goes great, right? So you're still vulnerable, uh, vulnerable as an individual if you do not have those skills. And so uh, we saw that there is a buffering effect. But, David, I want to add is that what we also saw is that these people, 60% more likely, will leave your organization. Their intent to leave was increasing if the environment is not a positive one. And so, you know, there's a likelihood you you actually lose great uh, talent with great skills if you do not take care of the other side as well. So both are important and it's, it should not mean that you that that as an organization you think let's just build those skills and we're done with it. That's just not sufficient. But it was an interesting thing to see. Yeah, yeah, very interesting. And, and on the on the adaptability resilience piece, Jackie, you know, what steps can can listeners take? You know, um, whether the, you know whether they're a manager or a leader or not, you know, what steps can they take as individuals to help enhance their their own uh, adaptability skills? Yeah, well, there there are multi, there are trainings for it, uh, and I would say um, I'll tell you more later. Read our book that's coming out because we've written a book about it. Um, but it starts really very much with uh, trying to you know starting to understand how stress impacts your brain and body, and what is going on for you uh, when you feel stressed. What is happening there, and then knowing that uh, that you can learn actually to handle that. Um, uh, and that you can deal with it, but it, that you can learn it as well. I think the other thing is uh, really make it uh, a topic to to talk about uh, and bring it to the team setting as well. Uh, you can do that in a facilitated way, but you can also, uh, if you feel comfortable as a leader, just uh, just talk about it with the team. So it, it is really about understanding um, what is happening and how can you actually manage uh, stressful environments in the right way uh, and look at it with a lot of compassion, to be honest. What actions can HR leaders and professionals take at, at an organizational level to, to drive employee mental health and, and well-being? 
Yeah, well, thank you. That is uh, a great question. We've actually defined eight actions based on the research that we've done. Uh, and I would encourage every, invite everybody also to read the, uh, the article. Uh, we will continue our research also, also into 2023 and we will continue to build the model that we had. But the starting point is eight actions. Uh, and it starts for us at uh, making mental health a strategic priority. Bring it in the boardroom and really discuss this topic. What does this mean for our um, uh, business strategy? What does it mean for our people strategy uh, and why is this uh, an important topic for us? Uh, improve access to resources for people so they know where to go when they need uh, help. And that can uh, be anything from, you know, signposting them to mental health support to uh, training uh, and all the resources that you may have available. Eliminate toxic workplace behaviors. Make this also part of uh, cultural measurement and uh, make it uh, uh, transparent, right? Where, where are we today? And, and if we take action, how do we actually know we move the needle? Foster inclusivity and belonging, extremely important. Important coming up both as a driver of positive and negative outcomes, eliminate stigma around mental health, create a supportive uh, environment uh, for people to uh, develop themselves and to learn and enable a sustainable working model. So there were eight actions and under each action you can put a lot of, a lot of interventions, but um, basically this is what, uh, what we found in the first uh, large global study that we did. We'll be back in just a short moment, where Jackie and I will be discussing one of the core skills research finds is essential in building resilience in the workplace. But for now, let me tell you a little bit about the sponsors of this season's podcast. If you're stuck in a rut with all this new world of work, quite quitting, remote work, talent retention, then you've got to meet Bob. Bob is a modern HR platform from HiBob that is built for the way companies need to work today. It's simple and intuitive. You can customize, automate, and create workflows for onboarding in a click. And there's more. If you're a multinational global company, you can customize just about anything. Calendars, holidays, currency, and regulations. Connect with HiBob and see what Bob can do for your company. Go to hibob.com forward slash DHL. That's H-I bob.com forward slash dhl and meet bob the modern hr platform from hi bob welcome back to my conversation with jackie brassy where our conversation turns to the financial business benefits of strategic employee mental health and well-being programs. You mentioned, obviously, back earlier in your career, you were at, at Unilever. They managed to quantify that every dollar that they invested in well-being at Unilever, they were getting a return out of, of two and a half dollars as well. Now, that doesn't mean just do it because it has a financial return. Do it because it's the right thing to do. And it, as you said, it will help you attract and retain great talent. But I think this is a breakthrough moment sometimes with the, the board. You know, it's like, actually not only is it the right thing to do it's actually the right thing to do from a business perspective as well and, and i know I, and other organizations have looked at it like that i'm not sure they've quantified it in quite as simple terms as as as, as unilever had yeah and, and not everybody has the means yet to actually quantify it as such but i can tell you there's much more coming and the business case is uh, is real there is a, a research also emerging uh, from uh, the world well-being movement uh, that we became a founding partner of and i can say you know there is a business case for productivity retention 
attraction and absence, it is no longer really a question whether we should do it based on a business case or not. It goes much further. There is a younger generation that becomes much more vocal about the importance of this topic for them. And they decide whether they want to work with an organization uh, based on what they think this organization is investing and really uh, paying attention to the topic of mental health and well-being. And that is uh, and that is that's really huge. It, it already informs decisions whether, for example, um, they filter out organizations where they want to apply or not. Uh, also, whether they want to stay. And in the next couple of well, the next five years, uh, the World Health Organization predicts that this uh, this is Generation Z we're talking about. Uh, they will make up thirty percent of the working population. So. You know, we better start uh, uh, moving uh, and moving fast if we uh, if we really uh, are serious about um, being great employers, but also keeping the right talent and attracting the right talent and the great talent that, uh, for the future. As we've touched on already, the, you know, your McKinsey Health Institute research, you know, really highlighted, you know, toxic workplaces is one of the biggest predictors of, of employee burnout, um, you know, and whether we mean toxic environments, whether we that be in our work or our personal lives, can certainly hinder our self confidence as, as individuals. You know, with all that in, and anxiety comes a you know comes with a lack of confidence. I presume this could eventually lead to to burnout as well. Um, your book, um, Authentic Confidence, touches on this. You know, tell us more. You know, what is authentic confidence, and and why is it so important in the workplace? Yeah. Um, what is authentic confidence? Well, this started with my own journey, uh, David, a couple of years ago when I actually uh, got into a confidence crisis. Until then, I had no idea what this was about. <laughs> so I was experiencing, I had anxiety, low-grade anxiety my whole life, but I um, it became uh, such that it got in, in the way of uh, me uh, reaching my potential, basically. It was hindering me. Uh, and that annoyed me, uh, but also was hugely painful. Uh, I've spoken about that in a TED talk. And that was the moment when I started to study the topic of anxiety way before uh, the pandemic uh, uh, hit the world. And also way before we actually uh, were talking about these topics so freely. But that personal confidence crisis led me to study the topic and the uh, neuroscience of anxiety and uh, and confidence uh, and well-being, and which brought me on a wonderful journey. And that actually has led me to understand that this is not a soft topic. Uh, it's um, it, it's biology. It's science. Um, and uh, and that brought me onto this mission of you know translating uh, these topics in a scientific way and in a way such that it can be easier accepted also in in the boardroom and in organizational settings because it's usually important. I also learned already before the pandemic that many people were struggling with this topic. Uh, one out of two uh, in our exploratory study, uh, people indicated that they thought they could perform better at work if they were less uh, worried about making mistakes. Just as an example, people also indicated to worry a couple of hours a day, and that takes energy away. It's normal, by the way, to feel stressed every now and then. It's absolutely fine. And stress is a good thing because it also is needed to learn new things. But it can also, if if not managed well, it can lead to uh, to burnout. It can lead to lower productivity. And, and you, you know, there's a lot that's related to it. And so when I started to study this, uh, I I also was working on my own uh, challenge with anxiety. And um, and this book um, was, uh, was very healing for me also to do. But what I learned was listen, I want to bring science to this topic. I also want to bring a tactical toolkit, uh, you know, because I read a lot. I was very much inspired by what I read, but then I, uh, I never knew what to do. What is this about? What are the tactical things that I can do? And there are a lot of tactical things that you can do. There are 32 tools in, in, in our book. But also this was all brought uh, together in the context of 
I understood it was not only me, but also we thought, you know, uh, with all the, there were more reports coming out, also a, a study by McKinsey that by 2030, a large part of the jobs will no longer exist that are here today and, and lots of, of jobs will um, transform, etc. Now, little did we know that then there was a pandemic and then there was uh, another disruption and it continues going and we're actually getting into an acceleration of change. More importantly, we found in our research that people don't speak up. Uh, they keep under the radar and they don't give feedback. And so you lose a lot of the talent. You have people there in your business that do, are not participating such as you, as you want. And so there is uh, also a business case from that angle. And what uh, authentic confidence is really about, you know, really clarifying for yourself what matters to you and continuing to move forward towards that. That sounds a bit ex abstract, but basically, David, to explain it in a bit of a practical way, what matters to me is talk about these topics and uh, create awareness around mental health and well-being, but also lack of confidence and uh, and challenges that people may face because whatever you know challenge they've had in the past or maybe neural diversity they bring to work. And I want to talk about that. And in order to do that, and I want to have impact in the world, in order to do that, I, I love talking to people like you to come to this wonderful podcast, but also to be on stage. Sometimes I find that actually uh, a bit scary as well because I don't want to make mistakes. I want to say the right things and, you know, I don't always say the right things and then I cannot uh, um, uh, correct that. Uh, however, it's important to me. And so I am very clear about the why. And I know that if I... I have the skills to manage with the stress that come with this, doing this, uh, this particular session, for example. Um, and it also is fuel uh, to, to do this. And so that gives courage. If you know what to do and how to handle stress along the way, that is authentic confidence. It does not mean, um, you know, you should never feel a lack of confidence or anxiety. It's actually about becoming comfortable with discomfort and being okay also not always to have the answer, which I am much better with these days, um, but I have my moments and, and, and there are many of us. And so it's an important skill to learn given the context that we're in uh, these days. What key piece of advice can you give to, to listeners to, to help them become more authentically confident? Mm -hmm. Well, first of all, uh, of course, knowing that you're not alone, but how you can start, it's, uh, it's really about... Um, uh, first of all, I would say uh, read this book as well. Um, this is, uh, you know, this is this has been a, a journey, um, but all the proceeds go to save the children uh, as well. But it has um, tactical tools, and and it's based on clinical psychology. It's based on acceptance and commitment uh, therapy. So we translated that to the business context, and so it's also evidence based. But start it all starts with really, uh, and I mentioned that before. Define what really matters to you what do you want to do and what are your values and then prioritize them as well because what no matter what you do it, it you know the, the fact that people uh, struggle with this sometimes um, is a positive thing in a way that uh, that also means you go out of your comfort zone and when you learn you go out of your comfort zone it's also normal right but if you do not clearly specify what is important to you in this current world, there are the boundaries are a bit gone as well, right? There is no clear defined path. There is a lot of possibility. There's a lot of uh, movement. There are also the, the, you know, 24 hours we, we always go on and we need to make diff difficult decisions. And difficult decisions are easier made 
when you have some guidance of what matters to you and what your values are. So that's the starting point. But then I would say, you know, it's um, it's also important to take care of yourself um, uh, and to really build an, a personal operating model that uh, that helps you to um, to recover and to to take care uh, along the way of uh, of yourself to set your uh, set yourself up for success. It's almost like uh, you know uh, when we do the jobs that we do. We're uh, athletes, but then in a corporate context. Um, and if you struggle with anxiety and, um, and lack of confidence, this can be hugely debilitating. But, you know, there's a lot that you can do. Taking care of your brain health is uh, critical. And, um, uh, and, you know, that also if you say, what, where do you start with? Apart from knowing what is important to you, if there's one other thing that you could do is make sure you sleep enough and you recover enough. And then, you know, there are 42 tools that we have in our book. So it's a, it is really a journey and it's really a skill set. And there's no silver bullet that, uh, that will help you then forever get rid of, of insecurity. Luckily not. It's actually good that we feel insecure. But if you take it seriously, you really can build skills to, to deal with it. And that is promising. That is self-empowering. You know, for those, those HR and people leaders listening, you know, what piece of advice would you give to them to, to, to help enhance the authentic confidence of their of their managers and workforce. Yeah, yeah I love that question. I mean, it, as I said, it, it's you know, for, as individuals in your organization, um, you can you can do a lot to self empower. But as HR leaders and leaders of teams, there's a huge amount that you can do as well. And that made me think of a quote that uh, Amy Edmondson uh, once uh, said. Um, she literally said, "Psychological safety and courage are two sides of the same very valuable coin." And she's very right there. And there's a lot of research behind it as well. If you create psychological safety in your organizational settings, in your in your teams and in your uh, organizational culture, that is uh, a place where people can have also um, difficult conversations and sometimes uh, conflicts, right? That can be constructive as long as the, as, the, as the environment is safe, but also where you speak up about challenges, etc. It's important to continue to... to to be very clear, the role and the impact that you can have uh, as leaders and HR leaders to create that environment. It's, it's the little things that you do as leaders, uh, but also uh, from an HR perspective, how do you actually hire? How do you, I mean, the whole value chain of, uh, of uh, from, from onboarding to uh, retention has elements of that, right? Have an honest look at how you actually what values you bring in the organization that creates psychological safety and uh, that develops people's confidence. If you if you put a value, I have an L&D, a learning and development background as well, as you know, uh, David, and, and helping people learn and develop is the biggest driver also of, of confidence and, and, and well-being. It's important to grow and make progress. Then as an HR leader, you have an important... Um, uh, role to play there what are the opportunities you create what are the people that you actually put forward in the organization are they the role models what are the people you hire how do you onboard them and uh, and how do you evaluate people and how do you actually also reward them so there's so many things that you can do bringing these pieces of creating safety having a learning and development uh, uh, angle create an environment where people feel appreciated and, and included. And so it's not one single thing. There's a lot to do. It's a journey. But there is a huge amount of um, uh, possibility that, uh, that can be created by uh, HR leaders and leaders in organizations. We hope you're enjoying this episode of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. 
If you are looking to continue your learning journey, head over to myhrfuture.com and take a look at the My HR Future Academy. It is a learning experience platform supporting HR professionals to become more data-driven, more business-focused, and more experience-led. By taking our short assessment, you will see how you stack up against the HR skills of the future. Then, our recommended learning journeys guide you every step of the way, helping you to close your skills gap, deepen your knowledge, and press play on your career. Welcome back from the short break. Just a quick note for those interested in purchasing Jackie's book, Authentic Confidence. The link is available in the description of the podcast on the My HR Future podcast page. For now, let's get back to the interview. We've touched on this a little bit, but you know, we know that changing the, the way we approach mental health and well-being in the workplace is, is crucial for culture and the performance of the organisation. Could you also share some insight into your findings as to so why it's so important, in particular for recruitment and retention? Well, as, uh, as, as mentioned uh, before, we, we see actually that people find it very important um, that organizations take care of mental health and well-being. And also, it often drives the decisions whether um, people will look at an organization to apply for, uh, for a job. It's, it's really shifting. This was an important topic already for uh, uh, talent that we see now, but it becomes more important for talent uh, of, uh, of tomorrow. And especially if we uh, ask the new generation Z and, and even students what, how important they think mental health support from a future employer uh, is, then you see in um, a recent study that we also have published uh, in Europe, that in uh, in some countries, you know, it's eighty percent find this important, and so it, it drives their decisions. Uh, in other countries, it's a little bit lower, but it doesn't go below uh, 50-60%. and so it's really top of mind for people. And there's a, a unique opportunity to make this part of your your value proposition. But of course, it shouldn't be lip service; it should be real. And if organizations do that well, they will get the talent, and uh, and they will be able to retain the talent as well. And you, we saw it also coming up in our other research. Uh, around um, the greatest vision, great attraction, it is an important element, an important factor for people to actually choose for something else. I think they realize that there is more. Uh, people really want to do a great job. People also want to develop uh, and learn. And it's not about people not wanting to do uh, hard work, but uh, the topics of, 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 you know, am I am I really appreciated? Am I taken, is this organization taking care of their people? And is there a purpose? It's another topic that also drives health and well-being, but is also important for people to um, uh, to choose for a role um, you know those topics matter and 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 you see that in all the in the shifts that uh, that uh, that are happening in society uh, and that will become stronger you know the shift will happen in the next couple of years we will have a larger proportion of this younger generation working in our organizations um, and so they will vote with their feet then right they will make the decision if we do not um, move the needle ourselves if we do not make the decisions and make the changes ourselves. That's a choice organizations can make and should make. Do you have any advice for those listening on how to build the right mental health and employee well-being strategy? Yeah, absolutely. Great question. The part of the eight actions that I mentioned, which was, of course, uh, based on this global study, generic study, I would say, look at your strategy, look at the, uh, at, 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 uh, take this topic to the boardroom. But also, uh, it is important that you understand where am I starting from? What is my baseline? 
what is important to my people and that you can do uh, of course one way to do it is uh, the user survey that we have developed which is freely available uh, for everyone um, and so reach out I would say uh, and uh, and connect with us but um, know your starting point and then look at in the context of of your business strategy how can this help drive deliver the strategy uh, and and the objectives that you have but also when you know your starting point a you know where to focus and to prioritize because this is a, a longer journey there's more work coming uh, out of uh, of the McKinsey Health Institute as well um, where we we actually um, recommend organizations to look at this from the systemic level at three levels in the organization both res- uh, proactive and reactive what do you have in place now if you look at your results where are the opportunities for uh, immediate impact and how could your journey look like I think your your um, the, your, your study actually said I was saying like 80% of organizations are already doing something but much of it is at the individual level so it's really about thinking about how you can do it at a systemic level looking at um, team and organization as well yeah now now it's the final question of today jackie now interestingly i think this final question which we're asking everyone in this series is is perfect for this topic because we've 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 talked about how we're we've moving into the hybrid era um you know what tips can you share with leaders on on how to foster collaboration in a in a hybrid team yeah, it's an interesting question. I get uh, uh, the question about hybrid teams uh, a lot. Um, and I would say, you know, I'm sure you have gotten great tips already. So you have a long list of uh, of um, contributions, I'm sure. But I would say then in, in line with the topics that we spoke about and adaptability and also authentic confidence, one word comes to mind, be intentional. It doesn't matter whether you actually work face-to-face or uh, in hybrid uh, settings. People want to be heard and people want to be seen. And in the hectic life that we're in these days, it is often forgotten. We're running, we're running, we have a lot of to-dos and we forget to actually see people and hear people. Not because we're bad people ourselves, just because we're taken by, uh, you know, the the stress of the day and the fast-moving pace that we're in. And so the only thing you can then do is be intentional and really think about, you know, you can do that uh, even at the morning, look at your agenda, what's happening, how can I make sure that actually I uh, I make that um, happen, whether we have a face-to-face setting or a hybrid setting. The execution of it is different in a face-to-face setting and in a hybrid setting, but all uh, evolves around being intentional and listen to people. You can tactically, David, you can set up specific calls, you can ask questions, you can do check-ins with your teams, etc. Can you let listeners know how they can find you on social media, find out more about your work, and also give them details for the upcoming book, Deliberate Calm, which I think is released in December. You'll correct me if I'm wrong, but also Authentic Confidence uh, that we talked about today as well. Yes, uh, I hope we can share actually the links to that. You can find more about uh, the McKinsey Health Institute online. If you Google it, um, you can sign up for our emails. Uh, Join us, I would say. Um, The book, Deliberate Calm, is being published through Harper Business um, and Authentic Confidence. You can find an ebook version already globally at Amazon.com. But everything else um, uh, is also posted on my LinkedIn. Feel free to connect. And thank you again, uh, David, also for the invitation. I really enjoyed it as well. And I, I wanted to say, I learned a lot as well by the questions that you ask and I'm still pondering, right? Uh, you know, did I, how did I answer that? Did I answer it right? And it's fascinating. I love these dialogues. So uh, thank you for um, for this opportunity to uh, to have this conversation. I look forward to much more in the future. Yeah, me too. And, and thanks so much for being on the show, Jackie. And listeners, 
I will include those links in in the show notes as well to the books, uh, the McKinsey Health Institute and Jackie's LinkedIn as well. So thank you very much, Jackie. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. And thank you again to Jacqueline Brassi for sharing her insights into tackling burnout and toxic work cultures. If you did enjoy listening, be sure to subscribe to the show so you don't miss any future episodes. We'd also be really grateful you could leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and share it with your friends and colleagues via social media so others can enjoy the show too. If you would like to learn more from us at Insight 222, please do sign up for our weekly newsletter by going to myhrfuture.com.